0: Welcome back to the Information on Innovation podcast from Team Defence. Next up from our Lognet 18 series is a presentation from Mr Andrew Tyra from Innovate UK. Remember, all the slides are available online at teamdefence.info. So our next speaker is Andrew Tyra
1: of Innovate UK, uh, and he speaks to Mr Claston as the Channel Director for Robotics within Innovate UK. Um, his next paragraph I found quite interesting Andrew's history in the field includes time of circo, circo, Science and Circo Technology working in areas such as speed enforcement, automatic number plate recognition and traffic control systems. He then swiftly moved on to take on strategy board. He became Innovate UK in its inception in early 2007, uh, July 2007. And since then he's been responsible for research programmes in privacy, consent, cloud adoption and has represented Innovate UK on a House of Commons select committee on the use of biometric data, perhaps all gained from his previous experience on speed enforcement and making it popular. Uh, Ian Rocker, the board, sorry, uh, Andrew. As head of enabling capabilities, he led in robotics and autonomous systems, and since April 2018, has been the director for the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund Robotics Challenge, a £93 million government programme. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Andrew to the stage.
0: On two levels. One, I need to a bit. But the other one is a hobby beekeeper, and that means hobby means I spend lots of money lots of time trying to new honey. Fascinated by the bits on honey, because my honey bees don't read books, certainly not the ones I do. Um, I like some sort of literature model about what they're going to do. Um, very inspirational. So, um, as introduced, I work for UK Research Innovation. So, are people in the room aware of UK Research Innovation or Innovate UK? Can I have a show of hands if people are? Excellent. So I've got some people who have heard of us, at least, um, and, and sort of go through what the acronym means. So, effectively, um, industrial transfer fund. So, government has industrial strategy. really pleased to, to welcome <coughs> the industrial strategy. Um, what that really means is that government are, are putting quite a lot of investment into bolstering our industrial competitiveness, trying to improve productivity, um, really trying to translate our excellent science base, so funded by research councils and academia, through TRL levels, into industry and actual applications. Um, and then, hopefully, obviously, to make the UK a better place in the in terms of benefits, but also economically sound. So, um, in autumn 2016, the government um, announced a £4.7 billion fund, uh, to look at research and innovation across the landscape, and also announced the formation of UK Research and Innovation. So last April, UK Research and Innovations formed. So I was previously part of, of Innovate, which was before that was technology, technology Board. We've joined with the other research councils, and now we're one body headed up by Sir Mark Walport, who is now our CEO, and he's the ex-Government CSA. So he's very well regarded in this space. So from that, we have some grand challenges that have have been posed to us from government. So you will notice on there, you won't see anything that is defence orientated, but actually what I would say is a lot of what we do and what I do is around enabling capabilities. It's really around underlying technologies, into use cases, and innovation isn't actually about invention. It's quite often taking what's been invented or used in one area and porting it to another. Um, to make sure that you know we use those technologies across the piece. So, as I used to be head of enabling technologies, I was really looking for those. If like those, as I say, the rows and not the columns. So, I was looking at things like electronics, sensors, photonics, how you might use those in the aerospace industry, in the oil industry, defence industry, whatever industry you might take. So, some of those underlying technologies. But actually, the grand challenges I'm now looking at are challenge-based. It doesn't prescribe a solution. What it does is it sets a high-level challenge that we, um, as, as government employees, but also as industry needs to respond to. And if we respond to those challenges well, then not only is there great opportunities and riches, but actually we should have a, a better organisation, um, in terms of organisations, should I say, and the economy is possible, but also there's great societal benefits. So most of these activities have societal benefits, things like medicine, manufacturing, early diagnosis, decision medicine, and as we're getting older, we need more of that, uh, so we can look at them, and we can scale. So myself, I'm actually um, in the future of mobility activities and that's just not because all uh, robots are necessarily mobile but certainly the sort of technologies that we're talking around are things like autonomous vehicles, uh, very much around the battery challenge, which is how they battery challenge, so how do we use batteries, um, how do we develop batteries that have got more density in them for autonomous vehicles, but also for the electrification of airframes and, and other such activities that we're looking at. Also some longevity out there, things like the internet themes, um, all these sensors need powering in some way, so we need to build a better sensor or build a better battery. So there's very much a lot of challenges that, that we, we are looking to solve. So in terms of robotics, um, we are not at the forefront of robotics in the UK. If you look at where we are in, I mean, in European terms, we are not there good at adopting robotics. But most people think of robotics as things on production lines that build cars, etc. And they tend to be made by people like Kuka. Kawasaki, ABB, none of those are British organisations. We do actually integrate those technologies very well, so we've got lots of code to control them, but we do not do them, okay? So my programme is actually understanding that the economic impact of productivity, if you want to buy an ABB or Google robot, it's not where we are in terms of my challenge, because we're already doing that, and we're doing that quite well well in the integration. It's actually robots in the wild if you like, robots in uncaged environments, it's a service type robots where the growth in markets will be in the future, so that's something we're very much involved with. Now there are obviously societal impacts as well because um, robots in particular, um, you can get things to do that you wouldn't want a person to do. Um, So therefore my challenge is really around taking forward that robotics for a safer world so it's actually how you use robotics in areas you want to put people from a health and safety perspective or productivity, productivity perspective. So therefore we've we've gone we've looked at sort of three or four main areas. So one is energy, so that's nuclear, so that can be decommissioning or build. Also renewable oil and gas, because there's lots of decommissioning activities, but also maintenance activities. Think of these wind turbines that got up in the North Sea. at the moment you get a person on a boat to go and look at them. You can't do these things autonomously. Um, There's no AI in terms of the engines and the data coming back to those things currently either. And then also we have two other extreme environments. One is space, because it's one very expensive to put people up in space, Uh, but two is obviously a very hazardous and dangerous environment. And deep mining, where that might be surface mining on seabeds, it could just be, and evolve, but the sort of places you, again, would not put people, uh, or often even won't be able to put robots currently. So if we can resolve some of the challenges in this area, not only can we increase productivity, but there's a health and safety case here that you, know, you, you, can, you can read some more. So a good example of that is seeing things like moving decommissioning at Sellerfield. It takes um, eight people for two people to look hours a day. So the productivity of then cutting up bits of metal to decommission and sorting that waste is appalling. It's about 64 to one, basically. Now the challenge is actually, we have helped develop a robot to do that. It's called laser snake, and it's a laser arm on the end of a snake. Okay. The problem is it will cut holes in walls as easy as it will cut holes in metal. So it's not autonomous at the moment; it has a person controlling it. But the problem with decommissioning is it's a £550 million market, and you can't scale that market with one person or one robot. So therefore, it's how do you introduce automation, how do you introduce AI technologies, and all the regulatory concerns you might have in that area alone. And if you're looking to your industries, so you have that same concern about regulations. So, you know, effectively you're weaponising something and if it goes wrong, you can only, you, know, you can understand the fallout that will be from that. So even though you might prove that it's more safe um, to use a robot than a person, there, is, there are some deep embedded psychological challenges. We also have to I mean, enable people to do that. So if you think that impact can capture our challenges of the six Ds, so some of these things are dull, Dirty, dangerous, demanding, distributed. So if you think of, you know, it might be the case of, well, a person can do it, but actually we can scale that and do it more effectively. Or is it the case of, if it's got a radiation challenge, then you wouldn't want to put a person there in the first place. Or it's just a case of, if you want to do something 24-7 and actually to get, you know, as I know from my circle days, you know, it takes six and a quarter full-time equivalents to give one person 24-7 coverage the year. So you can't, you know, six and a quarter people for 24 four seven coverage. You know, is is is, you know, for 35 days a year, it's a huge challenge in productivity. So if you can get machine to do that, you've you've got a challenge uh, that you can overcome with that machinery. And just to talk actually a little bit about the, the humans and jobs piece, the, the challenge we have here is about skills that we don't currently have all these people in AI, as Ian will tell you, or people in robotics earn significantly more than I do. And also they've got there's they are needed, those skills are needed. So the sort of people or jobs we might put out of the past, if you like, aren't going to be missed, but these new jobs aren't. So if you think in my lifetime, I'm just about old enough to know what typing call was, okay, no one regrets a typing call apart from me, I have to tap on my computer all day. So we've got lots of computer programmers, okay, so we invented a computer, we've got lots of programmers, we don't have typists in calls. So we have a lot of higher paid jobs at the software end of things, and that's the way robotics is going to go. So robotics automation, I've got to put some people out of work, but actually it's going to create a lot more high-skilled jobs, and that's why government is backing this technology. So the expectation of my challenge is that we will move the needle. Okay, So we want to start building those industries. So we want to accelerate the speed of development. So we use our money um, in a grant way, so a company will come along and ask for some funding, and depending on the size of the organisation, then we need to get 50-50 match funding or up to about 70% typically. And on some activities, when we typically work with that sort of DSTL, you might get 100% funding. So we're targeting those markets probably because there's an opportunity, but also we're asking people to bring technology from other markets in, and we're also trying to spill out of our area into other markets too. So that's why I really, I think it's interesting to speak to yourself today, because there's so much more into the commonalities of the technologies you may be working on as an industry that we can benefit from, and vice versa. So we're really looking to demonstrate alignment of those activities, so we're, we're quite agnostic where those solutions come from, um, but what we have done is, let I say, bang the challenge around those four main industries, but that's not the only industries we've operate in. So everything we do tends to be collaborative, so we are trying to get new people working with new people to create those value chains, so to users, to end users, to development companies, um, to, to sponsors who actually might procure these things. So it's a case of making sure that the whole value chain is there, but also these great companies work together. You know, there's are certainly companies in AI and in robots who live in garages, they don't live in big, you know. Headquarters somewhere, they're very small, but actually they can rise up, and their technology is being integrated very quickly. So we are part of that program service. We take those SMEs and we put them into primes, and then the prime has the assurance that we you know the SME is working with us, but also the SME, more importantly, has got the reassurance that the prime's not going to take it to the cleaners because we've got the stick. You know, so and in fact, in my ten years, I've never seen a prime and a. I've seen them fall out in SMEs, but I've never seen one being had over the other. mean? So we do make sure that there's a collaboration agreement and IP is recognised, etc. So it's really that safe place where we can help people do business, which is important. And so with my programme, I'm trying to build a cohort organisation. So we funded 140 organisations in the last 15 months. Um, so we're very much about building that the building blocks of that nascent industry, that, you know, that robotics in a sort of service industry. So, my £93 million is split basically three ways. So, £42 million is actually funding four academic hubs. So, they're academic funded research based, um, so led by four universities two in nuclear, one in Manchester, one in Birmingham, uh, one in offshore energy up at Orco at Heriot Watt, and one in Space, which is based at Surrey. So, they also got a cohort of other universities they're working with and the industries. And actually, that £42 million of our investment has been more than matched by industry, also adding money to that pot for the academics to perform a lot more activities. So we've got those those activities being undertaken. We've also got uh, £35 million of planetary research and development activities. So this is where it's industry-led. So we've run some competitions for industry bids in for our funding, and we have um, we have um, 17 of those proposals being worked on as we speak. And we're just to potentially going to fund another several in the next couple of weeks. We ran something called the Innovation Lab recently where we had 28 organisations in a room for a week um, to build up some of the challenges. And none of them have worked together before. So we've created some really exciting collaborations. And then excitingly, we've got a demonstration programme. So this is testing in a real world scenario. So this is going to the North Sea and inspecting pipe remotely, remember, or going up a wind turbine in the gale and seeing the blades are still working properly. Um, no, it's, it's very much about drones in the decommissioning areas. So one of those actually, um, we've had a really successful project where a drone has been to Fukushima and back out again. Most robots go in, they don't come out. Um, because, you know, the radiation challenges are so harsh there, that it just kills the electronics. But actually a couple of companies the university have been re- working with have been building resilient um, electronics from a radiation perspective. So they've actually gone in there, done some mapping, and they've been able to retrieve themselves. Because the last thing you want is to create more danger. In fact, some of the doorways you can't get through because they're dead robots. You know, it's a real challenge. So it's very much about you know, where we are in that cutting <coughs> us- edge activity. So if you think in terms of t- technology vendors, TL, so <coughs> traditionally, you know, the surface base does the low stuff, um, and then to demonstrate through the hard stuff, but actually it's not quite linear. the there's lots of activities going on across the field. So just to bring some colour to that, actually, so I mentioned the four hubs. That we're working with so no actually now that their investments gone up to about 45 million and the the promise from industry is another 51 million pounds so there's some great impacts in terms of where they're working and they've all got some websites and i'd encourage you to go and look at what they're doing it's really inspirational we've also got our collaborative and development activities and i'll post you at the end so you can go and look to see where all these are Because anything we fund is publicly available in terms of not the outcome but the price of the project how much of who's getting some funding, etc. cetera. Um, and then we've we'll run some missions. So in our terms, that missions means taking a bunch of people out to, in this case, off to the States to look at your oil and gas industry in Houston and down the valley to look at some of the AI activities um, in, in this, the end of this financial year. To so take those UK companies who think they might be good to show them that they'd be better. Um, and towards the end of the programme, we're going to take those things we've developed out um, to probably the US or Japan as well. But the demonstrated bits so I'm going to talk about a bit more in terms of some of the standout things we've already done. So, my project, um, my, all my projects started um, um, a year, just a year and a half ago, supposedly, but actually a year last June, where we really had the, the financial crowd to spend some money. And it ends midnight, 31st of March 2021. So, it's a four year programme, so we're already over a year in. But the challenge for me is with this 93 million, if I don't allocate it, early enough, by this time year, we won't actually spend that at the profile. So it has been a challenge. But we've got some really great standout projects we've been working with. So things like Astroscale, which is the, uh, a company called Astroscale, a Japanese company, we've invested and set up in the UK, working with other uh, satellite catapult, so a catapult, are building a couple of satellites, and they are going to go up in space in the next 18 months, and decouple these satellites, and one's going to play dead, and the other one's going to capture it and deorbit itself back to Earth. The reason for this is debris space is becoming a big issue with these constellations. And about 10% of all, all, all microsatellites, big sats, fail on implementation. So they go up there, they get spat out of some rocket, and then they fail, and they become debris. So there's a huge business case about being able to bring those things back to Earth. So we're developing an actual a robotic instrument that's got to be working on AI because when a robot goes when a satellite goes out of control it starts to spin. It comes down to Earth maybe over seven months, and it can hit other things. So we've got to build an algorithm in another satellite to chase this other satellite when it's spinning to dock, and there's no way you'll do that from a joystick in Earth. So basically, it really is autonomous, it's really got to work. If it goes wrong, uh, it could create a lot more damage than it originally had up there. So there's great, in fact, so much so that we're getting the Japanese government trying to write it. Because it's very it's, it's, it's an expensive game, okay? But actually, because thousands of satellites have been built at the moment, it's a sort of thing where there's a great business case because no one can do this. Anyone should have the ability to do it when they find a satellite and they come. <coughs> Another example is the Team pound Shell X Prize. So that's a you might have heard of X So X Prizes generally come out of states, but Shell um, have set up a seven million dollar X Prize, and the prize is can you map five thousand square meters of seabed at 4,000 feet. Um, the catches within 24 hours, okay? So they've got a $7 million prize to ask organizations to do that. If there is only one British collaboration now left in that prize. So There's only about seven or eight actually left at all now. And they're going out to uh, a department there in December to actually trial their kit. So Team Town, which is Source um, Sheet Dynamics up in Newcastle, a 300 really people uh, robotics company, and Newcastle University are developing some deep sea capability to do that. And the tech is mind-blowing. So we're adding some money, about a million pounds in of investment to further their seven million pound investment they will put in themselves to go for this prize. And the price is great. The first price is four million dollars, but it's not really that they're after. It's the implementation of where the business cases for this. So you can see already those type of environments and those type of use cases, I'm sure would be you know, interested for people in the room where if you can you know, um, map at scale, so you can have, have swarms of these robots, potentially, um, on the seabed, looking at the infrastructure, um, in 3D, quickly, at low cost, that's the sort of thing you want to be able to do. And over the way, it's got to fit into a 40-foot container to get out there in the first place. So it's going to be quite compact as well. So there's some great challenges there. Um, and then we've been working with um, Nesta, and I'll come on to that shortly if you don't know who Nesta are. Um, and also Autonomous Tasmage, I'll also speak then. So, for those of you who don't know Nesta, that's the National Endowment of Science and Technology of the Arts. So, they're an organisation funded from I an mean, endowment. Um, so, they're a charity. They do a lot of work um, in various areas. And we've been working with them to look at drones, and they produced a report called Flying High. Few months ago, which we were very much, in um, fact, we, we, we helped fund it. So the reason for that is drones, when I talk drones, i think thinking core copters and I'm not talking sort of things that might fly over um, battle spaces, etc. In our terms, it's, it's really probably smaller drones, things that might deliver or, or survey. Once we use these cities as a business case, so we've been working with about 20 different cities, but the challenge is there's two challenges one is regulation, and, and two is perception. And if you don't resolve those issues, you won't be able to find them especially commercially. Okay? So we are working with people on the CAA, uh, we're working with BASE, um, we're working with regulators, about how you might untap the potential of drones. So, cities is a good use case. Being it in medical supplies from hospitals, also there's, there's motorbikes going 24/7 through all hospitals in London, just carrying medicines. Okay, you can do that a lot more effectively, and and organs as well by the way. So, you can do that a lot more effectively using drones than you could using motorbikes and cars. So, but you can't do that in London, It's got to be so you can't do can beyond digital of site You know, thousands of meters away, one person. So you can't scale one person, one drone, and we've got to see where it goes. So I then can't use them on wind turbines in North Sea. I can't use them for pylon inspection. I can't use them for nuclear power inspection. Mm-hmm. You couldn't use them for inspection if you want to go and get things either. So it's a case that we have to unblock some of these fundamental challenges before the market can really expand. So that's why we're supporting uh, Nesta and building that phryonite consortium. And we've got a drones industry action group in the UK now, so and which is chaired by... By like Ian Gray, who's actually from Cranford. he